Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hey, thank you so much for joining us all of our campuses. Man, they popped online this morning. Wanita, North Johnson, Hebron campus, uh, our Westfield campus, our NPH campus, all the online. Come on. Can everybody give a good Valparaiso welcome to our campuses? Man, they're glad to see us. I want you to grab your worship guide if you've got one of those and open it up. you got your Bibles. You can go to the book of Genesis. We started this year a series that we're just simply looking at questions. Not questions that we ask, but questions that God asks. What would it be like if we could sit down and let God have a conversation with us and ask us some very important questions? I shared with you last week that the average four-year-old will ask 437 questions a day. Come on, any parents ever heard 436 of them within the first three hours? Come on. Kids are very inquisitive. But the, 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 the study shows that the average adult only asks about seven questions a day. The study says as we get older, we get less inquisitive. Now, now, now we have standard questions that we ask, you know, to, to discover information. You know, how, how old are you? Where do you live? Where do you work? Those, those standard, you know, type of questions, you know, to strike up a conversation. But we only ask about seven questions a day to really assess and, and to gain information from, from other people. When, when the theologians look throughout the Bible, in the four Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus was asked over 183 questions. He only answered three of them, right? Come on. And I gave them to you last week. The other 180 or so, he either ignored their question. He, he just kind of kept silent, didn't say nothing. Sometimes he would redirect their question. He would change the subject. And uh, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time trying to answer all the questions. But here's the thing about it. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are some 300 questions that God asked us. Over 300 different times that God wants us to, to give the answer. Now, again, we know he's omniscient, right? He knows everything. So he doesn't, he doesn't ask the question to gain information. It, it, it not, God's going to ask the question, and, and you answer it, and you say, God said, oh, I didn't know that. No, no, he, he already knows, but, but he asks questions to serve his purpose and ultimately for us to reflect on the question that's being asked. And basically in this series, that's what we're spending some time, we're looking at a question that God asked in the Scriptures, and then we're reflecting, what does that mean for us? Last week, we looked at the question, where are you? Why are you hiding from God? He talked to, asked the question to Adam. And I shared with you that in one choice, one decision, everybody say one decision, Adam and Eve went from walking with God to hiding from God. Choices are important in our lives. Can I get an amen? One decision they chose, they made a bad choice, and they went from walking with God to hiding from God. Today's question we're going to look at this morning is where is 
your brother. Now, now, a question like this introduces, I think, in our culture today, particularly a very difficult, a very complex, even, even I think for many of us, it's a very challenging question. Because many of us struggle with what is our responsibility today with, with each other. I mean, should, should, we, should we just mind our own business and, and stay out of everybody else's business and, and not pay any attention? So, so the second question addresses that issue. And, and it comes from a very familiar story in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 4, well, about two men by the name of Cain and Abel. Now, let me just kind of set, set the scene very quickly. We know that after God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden, God didn't abandon them. You understand? God, God didn't say, okay, you messed up. You're out of here. Get lost. He stayed with them. And matter of fact, he, he kept helping them fulfill the, the, the request that he had made of them to multiply the earth. Some theologians believe that, that they had children prior to getting excommunicated, but Cain and Abel are going to be the first two boys that they have. And the Bible picks up the story in Genesis chapter 4 in verse 2. When they grew up, everything they grew up. Now it depends. Most theologians think that these young guys are probably in their 30s, maybe 40s. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Now, watch this. Time out just for a minute. Listen, anger, and we're gonna, I'm going to talk just very briefly about that. Anger is not an emotion that just comes out of nowhere. Things usually are happening in a person's life that builds to the point where you get angry. Cain and Abel, now, now I'm going to mess with your theology just a little bit. So listen, it has nothing to do with salvation, has nothing to do with God's eternal plan, but it does give a little bit of insight into what's going on in Cain's life. What's happening right here? There, there are many theologians and commentaries believe that Cain and Abel already had a rivalry. How many's ever had a rivalry with, with a sibling of yours? Yeah, I know you're not going to raise your hand. They may be sitting beside you. That's a very wise choice. Good choice you made today. Rivalries happen with, with siblings a lot of time. Many commentaries and theologians believe that Adam and Eve had a lot of daughters, and Cain and Abel, Cain is already in a rivalry about a certain uh, sister that he wants to marry, and, and Abel wants to marry her too. Because before, you have to get later on in the scriptures before inter, intermarriage was wrong. In, in the beginning, we all know everybody came from Adam and Eve, sons and daughters, and they were marrying each other. There was, no, there was no dysfunction, there was no disorder, other than the fact that that's how the earth began to multiply. Are you with me now? So, so something's happening in Cain's life, something's already stirring that he hasn't dealt with. Now watch this. When God shows up, now here's another very important thing. Cain is not surprised by the conversation that he's having with the Lord. Are you with me? 
Again, God didn't abandon Adam and Eve. He didn't stop communicating to them. He, he didn't communicate the way he did in the, in the garden. Now they're outside the garden. But Cain is very, he, listen, he's not surprised. Oh, what, an angel of the Lord. No, he's calm. God enters into this conversation. Why are you angry? Why are you so dejected? And then, then here, here, here's what God says to him. He says this in verse 7. If you, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right, okay? Do what is right means that what? He must be doing something wrong. Something's not right right here. Something's going on. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and become its master. This is after the fall, after they're being kicked out, but God is telling Cain, hey, listen, you don't have to be mastered by sin. Are you with me? You, you don't have to listen to the serpent. You don't have to obey what the devil's trying to get you to do. Something is happening. Sin is crouching at the door. Wake up. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up. What's this? There's no response. There's no repentance. There's, oh, yeah. And then it says one day. Now, now, theologians, is it the next day? Is it one week? Is it one month? We don't know. But one day, Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while he was in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, now watch. He's already, he's already got some junk happening in his life. God's still talking to him. He, now he has killed his brother, and God shows back up again. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? And, and almost in a, well, you know, where, where, where is Abel? And Cain says, I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Now watch this. When God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he never abandoned them. The original creation was that God created man for community. Everybody say community. Listen, God wanted Adam and Eve to have fellowship with him, but they also wanted to have fellowship with each other. It's the reason why God created a spouse for Adam. He said, Adam's not good for you to be alone. You got all these creatures, you got all these animals, but I look, I see the look in your eye, and you are lonely. Okay, come on, God knew that. So he created Eve, and now Adam and Eve have tremendous fellowship with themselves. They have tremendous fellowship with God the Father, and he's gave them the command, I want you to replenish the earth. God wanted Adam and Eve to enjoy, to experience the same companionship, a family, the, the, the rulership, the fellowship that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they themselves enjoy. Are you with me? But what, we, we know what happened. Original sin. What did it do? It separated man from God. Sin is what created that vacuum. Sin is what created distance. But now watch this. It's just a few pages into the creation, and now we see the rebellion that was in Adam and Eve against God. Now it's beginning to take toll in the family. So sin is not only just separating man from God, Sin will destroy relationships. Well, I'm going to just give an altar call right now. How many of us have seen robbery, jealousy, 
envy, strife, destroy a marriage, a family, a relationship. We've seen it destroyed because of that. You with me? And listen, Cain responds by saying, am I my brother's keeper as if to kind of mock God in somehow or another? But listen, God understood the fact that this brokenness is happening. And listen, ever since that day, the brokenness that we see in our world today, the brokenness where we see all the loneliness, all the the divorce, all the murder, all the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, uh, the child molestation, all of the stuff that we see, all the brokenness is tied to sin and to Satan and to self. Everything is tied to sin, Satan, and self. And listen, God never intended it to be that way. But that's what sin does, doesn't it? It destroys. So here God shows up with Cain. He's calling him out with his attitude. Now, now I, I, I could do an entire sermon on why are you angry, Okay. Some of you get angry just me asking you, why are you angry? Listen, the, the, the Harvard Business Review, they said that 70, there's been a 76% rise in anger on frontline employees with, with hostility and rudeness from people who walk into businesses. Listen, listen, and, and they, when, they, when they say, well, what's causing all the anger? The stress from the pandemic, the economy we're living in, the division that we have in politics today, the, the continued uncertainty about the future, the increasingly negative emotions that many people care. Matter of fact, the number of people who selected anger as the prevailing emotion that they experience on a daily basis has went from 20% in 2020 to over 45% in September of 2022. People are just angry. They're just upset. And listen, everybody in this room, everybody watching at every campus, everybody in this room, we've all experienced anger at some point or another. And don't look at me like you haven't. But here's the number one question that I get people who ask me all the time. Pastor Phil, I just got to know, is it a sin to be angry? Right? We, we want to know, is it a sin? And listen, the Bible teaches us that anger is not a sin. It's what we do with that anger. Matter of fact, I put this Ephesians 4.26 in your note. When angry, do not sin. Do not let your wrath last until the sun goes down. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Now notice, Paul didn't say, don't get angry. Because if he said, don't get angry, everybody in this room have sinned, right? Come on. But, and listen, he didn't say, now if you get angry. Nope. He said, when anger comes. He said, when angry. When, when, listen, what does that mean? Listen, everybody in this room knows we're going to be angry. There, there's times that there's things happening to us and around us that gives us the feeling of anger. The feeling of angry, uh, anger is not the problem. The problem comes is what do you do with that anger? How, how are you going to respond to that anger? Yeah. 
What is that anger going to cause your actions to be? That's the reason Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 that we're supposed to be pulled out every stronghold, pulled out everything. Listen, in other words, listen, you and I can choose what we're going to think about and dwell about. And if we continue to fuel our anger emotions with wrong kind of thoughts, there's no telling to what's going to happen. There's no talent to where that and listen, it took Cain away. It took Cain. Listen, they were the only two boys among all the other girls. There should have been a bro bond going on. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Hey, Cain, we got to stick together. There's enough girls to choose from. Why are we arguing? And again, most theologians' commentary believe, like Adam and Eve was very uh, handsome and Eve was very beautiful, that the offspring was the same way. So they wouldn't like, you know, they had an ugly sister. They're, they're still looking good at that time. Cain went on to live about 700 years or so, his entire life. So, so, so what are you saying, Pastor Phil? I'm, I'm just simply saying that just like God, go look back at verse 7. God told, told Cain, he said, if you, he said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. I love that. Well, God had rejected Cain's offering because of his, it was his attitude. It wasn't what he brought. It was his attitude. He still offered Cain a word of encouragement. He still is telling Cain, Cain, you can change the situation. It doesn't have to end like this. Are you with me? That's the God that we talked about last week that never gives up on us, that is always pursuing us. He's telling Cain, he said, Cain, listen, sin is at your door. It's crouching, but you can do something about this. You know what all Cain would have had to done? I'm sorry. Forgive me. If he would just repented, he would have been accepted. And maybe the whole story would turn out different. But listen, Cain reacted improperly to God's rejection and his anger gave way to rising up and killing his brother. The most theologians believe he used a stone and later Cain will die by stones that would fall upon him because he ultimately become a real good carpenter and people in his offspring become uh, builders of musical instruments and things like that. But, but Cain, listen, had, had Cain reacted properly to, to God's rejection, had, had his anger just given way to godly sorrow, the Bible said godly sorrow produces repentance. Now, somebody says, well, Pastor Phil, why, why, why are you telling me this? Okay, listen, 2023 is the year of returning in Reformation. But listen, can I tell you there's challenges to this Reformation, 2023 is a year of confrontation, correction, and change. Listen, in order for God to do what he wants to do in our hearts and our lives, we've got to be willing for the Holy Spirit to confront us. We've got to be willing for God to send through his word and by the, by the presence of God to correct us so that what? We can change our direction. 
And listen, there, there, there are agents of reformation. There, there are people that, that says, listen, I, I, I'm open to the confrontation of the Holy Spirit. It's the reason why I tell this church all the time, listen, you and I need to get comfortable with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows up in my life, in your life, to convict us, to tell us there's something going on. If you don't deal with that, sin is crouching at your door. But if you will confess it, you will repent and turn from it. I'll bring about transformation. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. But listen, the agents of reformation, the, the confrontation of the Holy Spirit, the correction from the Word of God, the change that God requires of us, they're enemies. Listen, they're enemies to those who want to stay with status quo. They're enemies of those who don't want to change. Leave me alone. I'm okay where I'm at. I make my choices. I make my decisions. Now listen, the Holy Spirit in this year wants to confront us with the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. And that confrontation brings correction. And ultimately, correction should always lead us to change. Changing direction. That's what repentance is, to change. To change your way. Change your direction. And in 2023, we have to, listen, this is important. We have to be equipped and we have to be trained to, to fight the betrayal that is rising up in our nation. That there, there, we have to be aware of offenses that's going to come in this last day. Listen, we have to be aware that offenses are going to come. People are going to betray you. People that you trusted, people that you thought was your friend, they may not turn out to be that way. But you and I have got to live in such a way that when we get offended, we refuse to let that offense take root in our lives, that it builds a wall between us and God and between other people. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. Betrayal is going to happen in 2023. So, that's not my message, but it's important to me to know. Something was happening. Everybody say something was happening. Okay. God designed us for what? He designed us for fellowship and communion, didn't he? And part of the, part of the Christ life transformation, part of the call that we are called to do in this broken world is to bring back the opportunity that we can have community again. Listen, Jesus Christ came to restore us to have back, restore back our relationship with God the Father. He did it through his forgiveness and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But listen, as he moves into us with and us having relationship with God the Father, you and I have a challenge today that we had to build back community. We have a challenge today that we have to step up and regain our position in this broken world that says, yes, I know the world is broken. But God has left me here to be a light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. I am my brother's keeper. I have responsibility for the people around me. That's what the message of I'm my brother's keeper. God says, I created the church for this very reason. Now, what's this? Let, let, me give you, let me give you three things. The, what, what's the principle of this? I give you a little working definition of keeper. What does it mean? It means to keep guard, to watch, to protect, to observe, to keep within bounds. 
We are the keeper. There's a lot of verses. I just chose a few. Hebrews 13 and 1 said, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. And then 1 John 4, 20 says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I wish John would tell us what he really thought. <laughs> whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Are you ready? Anyone who loves God must also go to church. Is that the command? Anyone who loves God must pay 10%. Is that what it says? No. Religion wants to put that. Listen, anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. And then 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What does that mean for us in this culture today? What what is involved to say, okay, Pastor Phil, I don't like some stuff, and Cain could have acknowledged, I don't don't like, you know, Abel thinks he's better looking than me, but I I know he's not. I don't don't like, you know, that Cain is a a herdsman and I'm farming, but it's a choice that Abel made to be a farmer, uh, um, Cain, Cain chose to be a farmer. Abel was a, was a, was a herdsman. But what does it involve? Listen, it, it's very simple, and I just, I'm just going to give you a few things. We'll flesh it out. It, it simply means that we, we're conscious that our actions might cause our brother to stumble. So what do we do? We adjust ourselves accordingly. It, it means that when we see and we notice that a brother or a sister is doing something that's ungodly, that we have enough relationship with them that we'll sit down and have a conversation with them to say, I'm here to help you. To be my brother's keeper means I'm emotionally and spiritually supportive, ready to help this broken world. It means I build relationships. Paul writes it like this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. He said, for all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of condemnation. Does it say that? Well, a lot of people in the church think it says that. We have the ministry of condemnation. We should stand up and we should curse this old dark world and just tell them where they're going to go. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says that God reconciled to us, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Again, that's restoring that relationship with our Father. And he's given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. To which that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses of them. He hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. And listen, Jesus modeled... 
this principle time and time again. Listen, he, he was a master at building bridges to broken people. He was a master of building bridges to the poor, to the sick, to the blind, to the demon-possessed, to the rich, to the rejected, to the wounded, to those caught in sin. Listen, Jesus met people right at the point where they was, and he loved them right where they was, and he brought them out of that darkness because he was reconciling them back to the Father again. And listen, Jesus, listen, Jesus had, the Bible says, we, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. That's the responsibility that we have to this broken world today. The church cannot afford to become like there's a medical institution in our area that I hear people say all the time, if I have a heart attack, if I get sick, do not take me to such and such place. I'm not going to say no names because we got a lot of great nurses and people, and, but, but I'm just telling you, everybody in this room, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Listen, the church cannot afford to be the place that people says, if I'm hurting, if I'm broke, if I fell into sin, if I'm a drug addict, if I'm an alcohol, if I have this or that problem, whatever you do, don't take me to Heartland Christian Center. I don't want to go there, man. They'll beat you up, they'll chew you up, and they'll spit you out. <laughs> you know, there are some churches that have that reputation. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I just have the, 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 the microphone right now. <laughs> I almost said something else. I just have the microphone that I'm being willing to do this. God says we've been, that's the reason why the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15, Mark 16, 15 said that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You, you, you realize we have people today who are now identifying themselves as creatures? You, you do understand that today? We have people, human beings, that, that, that they've lost their identity to the point that they are now identifying themselves as creatures? What do we do with the creatures that's in our culture today? Do we condemn them? Do we say you're jacked up, you're messed up? Or do we stand as agents of reconciliation and says God loves you and he wants your life to be transformed? He didn't create you to be like that. Yeah. And love them back into the kingdom. Yeah. Listen, Jesus was a master of building a community. He, he was able to take fishermen. He took tax collectors. He took rebels. He took rejectors. He took the poor. He took the rich. And he brought them all together to form one community. That was the church. That's what the church is made up of. Is it made up of a bunch of jacked up people. You understand that? And we are living in a culture today that, that people are so thirsty to have the real gospel being presented to them, not from the pulpit, not from some preacher preaching like a... They just want to rub shoulders. They want to work in the same cubicle. They want to be in the same factory. They want to be in somebody who radiates the same pattern and praying principle that Jesus had as when he was in this broken world. Yeah. Just give me Jesus. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. So that's the principle. What's the pattern? There's three, there's three ideas. There's three thoughts that, that, that just 
resonates in this principle of Jesus saying that you're reconciling the world. The first one is just simply love. Again, 1 John 3 and 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And then he says, this is the New Testament, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions was evil and his brothers were, were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Did you get that? Why did he murder his brother? Because his own actions was evil and his brother's was righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. It's so easy to get so angry and upset at our culture and where we have shifted and we've gone away from the oracles of God. We've gone away from common sense in many areas. But if we're not careful, we get so upset, we get so angry that that anger eventually leads into hate. And we'd literally rather have somebody die in that condition rather than to love them out of that condition in order for them to be saved. I haven't told this story in years, and it just it came to me when I was in the office in between services. I, I don't forget the, the flack that I took at a church I was pastoring years ago when I got a call to go visit a guy that had AIDS. And this was when AIDS was rampant. This is when there's so much fear, trepidation. This is when everything about AIDS was tied to a, to a certain category of, of behavior. You, you follow me? Yeah. I got a call and I went and I prayed with this guy and I, and, I, and I led him into the Lord in prayer. And he confessed that the Lord Jesus Christ is his Savior. When he passed away, the, the family said, you're, you're the only pastor that would even come. You're the only pastor in our area that would even show up. Would, would you mind doing his funeral? And I knew who was going to be present. I knew the people that were going to gather at that was totally, totally away from, from, from my, my mindset. But I said, yes. And I went and I, and I preached this funeral and I, I talked about what I knew about him, not, not what others might have knew. And there's others that told their stories and, and there was things in that stories that, yeah, would just, yeah, yeah it, didn't, it didn't set right with my spirit, but I wasn't there to try to correct everybody's behavior. I was there to be a light for Jesus at that moment. You follow me? Oh, man, I got chewed up and spit out by so many people, preachers and people that says, how could you? The Bible says if you're not careful because your own actions were evil and not your brothers and your brothers were righteous, don't be surprised if by my brothers, if the world hates you. See, it's easy to return hate for hate, isn't it? Anger for anger. Oh, you do that, I'll do that. It's another thing to put on the love of Jesus in your life and say, I refuse to allow that to incede inside of me. I'm going to stand in the love of God and I'm going to do, he said that we know we pass from death to life. Why? Because we love our brothers and anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. We don't murder physically, but how many people get murdered with our tongue, with our... Yep. Yep. 
using our social media. Careful, careful. I'm just telling, careful. Because we are our brother's keeper. We've been called to stand out different in this world. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You see that? Everything God does for us is built on love. And listen, because God loved us, we, well, there's nothing we could do about that. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And God's love isn't some passive love. It isn't some distant, faraway love. Everything from Genesis all the way to Revelation was God promising Eve that there's going to be a seed. There's going to be a promise keeper. He's going to come back. He's going to restore. Did Jesus Christ come to undo and outdo and overdo everything that Satan tried to, 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 to destroy in the book of Genesis? And listen, the whole Bible is written on the fact that Jesus Christ would stand victorious over Satan one day. But it all hinges on the fact that it was his love that drove him to do that. It's love that, that should be driving us today. It's the love of God that moves us. In verse 20, 21, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Or it's the love that transformed us to be like Jesus in verse 17, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Yeah. It's that love that drives us and transforms us. Secondly, the pattern is, is acceptance. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 and 6, wherein he made us accepted in the beloved. He made us accepted. Listen, most of us in this room, we understand we do. We, we did nothing to earn his acceptance. It isn't, well, I'm not accepted because I'm, I'm the right person or I come from the right family or I have the right background or I have the right culture. Listen, listen, God chose to accept us. He chose. He made a decision. I will accept you and not condemn you. Yeah. You follow me? He chose to do that. He sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Acceptance is the beginning of, of, of our salvation walk with God. Acceptance in that, is that unconditional part of that unconditional love. And Paul writes this in Romans 15 and 7. He said, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another. And I, I know as our political divide grows deeper and deeper in our culture today, it's, it's so challenging to show kindness to people that you disagree with. Pastor, how do I handle a relationship, you know, where, where, where people I don't, I don't see theologically or I don't see politically, I don't see socially? Do, 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 I, do I just end that relationship? Or is, or is it possible to accept someone without condoning their behavior and what they're doing? Jesus said this in Matthew 5 and 46, if you love only those who love you, what reward is that? What reward are you having? If, listen, it's easy to have a cup of coffee and a donut with somebody that has your politics, your theology, and, and everything else socially. They're right on the same page. You know, you sit there, oh my, how time flies. But it's hard to sit across from somebody. They think differently, they believe differently, and their politics is different. 
if you're not careful, you know, you're sitting there, you're saying, oh, I wish somebody would text me. I wish I could get out of here. I had a guy come up to me yesterday. I went to a funeral of a guy in the area that we all knew, and there was a, there was a nucleus of, of men there that we have a, a commonality of, of playing golf together. And, and this one guy, you know, and I'm all, I, always, I always love to just kind of watch guys, what they do around dead people. We, we just freak out. Most people don't know how to respond to that. You know, and this guy walked up to me yesterday, and he said, you know, they call me Dr. Phil. They said, you know, Dr. Phil, said, I, I, I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. said, I, I see you come out here and take out time to, to, to pay your condolences to this person. And I said, you know what I really appreciate about you? I appreciate about you that you listen to all of my effing foolishness. And you still call me your friend. I'm going to have to come to that church one day. He may be listening right now because he watches. Does it take the love of God to sit down and listen to somebody's effing foolishness? Yes. Does it take the love of God to sit down and listen to somebody? They, they'll go way off far to, to the left with their politics, and you sit there and you say, God, there's something bigger than just uh, the donkey and the elephant in the room today. The lion of the tribe of Judea is who I'm representing. I want, I want them to see Jesus. Jesus writes in Luke 6 and 35, for God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked and you must be compassionate as your father is compassionate. And then I love this. I, I put this verse in your notes. Again, there's so many verses on this, but Romans 2 and 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? When was the last time you sat down and you reminded yourself how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? When was the last time you realized, you know what, God, you give me another day to live, another breath of life? Well, I, I didn't deserve I mean, there was times, God, I was so jacked up, but you stayed patient, you stayed kind, and you've been tolerant. And Paul challenges, he said, don't you see this? He said, does that mean nothing to you? And then he says this, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? One translation said, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. When I read that, I can't help but think if God's kindness leads us to repentance, what, what do you think could happen if we could be kind to this world? Don't you think that if we're doing this with the a, with a right attitude and the right spirit and the love, of, don't you think our kindness towards other people might lead them to God? Don't you think God might could use us like that? I, I put this in your notes. My love for another person is found in my acceptance of them, not in my agreement with choices they may or may not make. I submit to you that it's possible to be in relationship with someone and not in agreement with their life decisions. Jesus is a great example, and I don't have time to give you all of these, but Jesus loved James and John in Luke chapter 9 and 54, even though he didn't affirm their desire to call down fire from heaven and burn up an entire city. <laughs> I mean, James and John got so ticked about what people wasn't doing or doing, and they said, Jesus, can we just call fire down from heaven? 
Jesus didn't say, James, John, you're out of the room. Go. No. James and John stayed in his circle, even though he didn't, he didn't condone and affirm that desire. Jesus doesn't write off the, leg of the, the legalistic Pharisee named Nicodemus when he came to come to him in John chapter 3, even though he didn't support his theology that wasn't honoring God at that moment. What are you saying? Listen, I'm saying my love for another person is found in my acceptance of them, not in my agreement with the choices they may or may not make. There's two things you always don't know when, when, you, when you come in, when you have a relationship with a person who's fallen into sin. There's two things you don't never know. Number one, you don't never know how hard they fought or resisted that temptation. You don't know that. You don't know the battle they might have went through. You don't, you don't know the push that they tried to make to resist. The second thing you don't know, you don't know what you would have done had you been put in the same situation. Now, I like to think, I, I like to think, well, I know what I would do, but listen, until you've been there, until, until you've literally walked that road, and I said, how in the world could some of these people have so loss of identity that, that they're so messed up that they don't even, you know, don't, don't even think that they're humans anymore? Listen, you, you don't understand some of the craziness, some of the abuse, some, some of the molestation, some of the, some of the emotional trauma that some people have been to in this broken world. And listen, you never know what you might have done had you lived in such a jacked up situation. Only by the grace of God that many of us survive some of that stuff. The love of God. Listen, I, I, I know we live in this tension and I've learned that many people have been, have been deeply hurt by, by some Christians and they've, they've been hurt to the point that they think that God hates them. Not God hates the sin, they think that God hates them. And our actions towards them and, and, and towards their behavior, listen, it can deeply impact their, their view on their acceptance of who God really is. You follow me? How we respond to that, how, how, we, how we step up to the plate with that. Love and acceptance, and number three is, is forgiveness. When I love and accept somebody, when, when, when I've, when I've let Christ love, love through me and the acceptance that I have from him, when I love and accept, listen, there, there are still people that I have in my life. I still, they still have things that I don't like. There are still behaviors I don't, I don't like about them. And I have to choose forgiveness. If I don't, then something's going to happen inside. That, that seed that got into Cain at some point, that, that, that envy, that jealousy, that strive, that anger, that if I don't deal with it. Listen, how do you deal with anger? You have to choose to live a life of forgiveness. It's a decision that we have to make. It is an attitude that we choose. And listen, Jesus laid out this for us. He gave us the pattern. He gave us how that we should love and we accept people. And listen, we have to come to the point in our life when things are still not doing right. We're loving people. We're accepting them. And they're still behaving wrongly. And their attitude is still jacked up. You have to choose to say, I refuse to let that betrayal get inside of me. Yeah. 
We have to stop saying, okay, you ready? How could you? How could you do that again? Because their heart's not right. And if I, don't, if I don't accept that fact, that unless Christ has transformed them, I put a little pressure. I can, they, they might modify their behavior just a little bit to please me, but unless Christ truly comes in and transforms their life, they're going to go back to that same attitude and that same behavior. And I have to refuse, refuse to say, how could you do that again? That's the last time. I'll tell you what, I'm done with this. Nope. Live in forgiveness. So what's the possibility to this? I know some of you have got so nervous today. I love it. Our janitor is going to have to fix some seats this week because I guarantee there's some screws falling out because I see them. I see them. I see your, your, it ain't like you're exercising either. It's the Holy Spirit. You're squirming. But that's okay. We're going to get through this because this is good. This is where we at in our culture today. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Jesus, Jesus gave us the principle himself. He's the pattern is love, accept, and forgiveness. What's the possibility? Again, think about this. God created Adam and Eve for what? Created them for fellowship and created them for community. And what, is, what God is in the business of restoring right now is, is using the church to create this community of believers together. That we can have not just fellowship with God, but we can have companionship with God and companionship with each other. And listen, if we really bought into this idea, if we really believe this as a church, that God has left us in this world to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, that this should be the place that everybody says, listen, if I'm broken, if I'm hurting, if I'm jacked up, if I've got issues, there's one church you can take me to because I know they're going to love me and they're going to accept me and they're going to help me through it. And that's Heartland Christian Center. I want to go to that church. Well, it's not close by. Drive a few miles. Just get me there. The community that God is trying to create is, 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 a, is a community that's built around three things. Compassion, sensitivity, and maturity. The community that the world is needing today is, is a community that's built around compassion. That we have men and women that says, listen, I understand when I walk in your shoes, when I walk in your shoes, I, I, walk, I, I feel what your heart is feeling. And the sensitivity says, when you hurt, I'm hurting with you. And it creates maturity. Maturity says, I am my brother's keeper. I am responsible for other people. And it, with that responsibility becomes my obligation, my, my, my commitment to say, listen, I'm going to hold you accountable. See, sometimes the traces of a former life of a person coming to church or coming to Christ, the traces of a former life, sometimes it holds on to people. And the only way that that can be broken is you have somebody in your life that's full of compassion, they're sensitive to what you went through, but they also are mature enough to say, listen, the only way you're going to navigate this and not keep going back to the same thing is that you be held accountable. 
And I'm here not to judge you. I'm here not to, not to try to be, be a Lord over you. I'm simply here to simply tell you that I, wanna, I want you to find protection. I want you to, I want you to have the, 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 the concept and the idea that along the way, you have people in your life that says, we're going to be accountable to each other. When I hear people tell me sometimes, they say, you know, Pastor Phil, I, I, I hate to miss church. And I, I know when I don't come to church, I, I just... I know you're disappointed. And I tell people, listen, I love it when you're here, but it's not about you disappointing me. Well, you know, Pastor Phil, I, I know when I don't come to church, I, I know I disappoint God and I let God down. No, no. Listen, remember last week, you don't hold God up. You're, you're not letting God down. You want the importance of this? This is community. When, when, when we don't show up in community, when we don't make sure that, that we're on time in community, it isn't about, I want, I want Pastor Phil, I want to worship it. It's about community. Listen, we're, we're letting each other down. This is where the support system lies. Because now we have brothers and sisters that, that we know they're compassionate with us. We, we know that they're sensitive about what we're walking through. And we know that there are men and women that says, listen, I have enough maturity in my life. You have enough maturity in your life that says, listen, I'm going to hold you accountable. What, how do you think would happen? What would change the culture? If everybody started holding people accountable in your section, we try to do that here at our church. I, I try to, I'll ask the staff, I said, what about so-and-so? Haven't seen them in a while. And, and we'll try to make a phone call or, or make a connection. Staff will do the same. But what would happen if we looked around and we said, you know what? This is family. Yeah. And next Sunday when I show up and I don't, I see an empty seat, I think, well, who, who, who was sitting there? Oh, yeah, I remember. I want to check on them this week. How, how are you doing? What's happening? Man, I got so mad. I got so upset last week. This happened at work or this happened at my family. And, and you say, that's okay. Again, there's always opportunity to change our behavior. If we, if we have somebody that will step in our life. God tried to do it with Cain. So what's the takeaways? I, I put these in your notes. Every believer needs the church and other believers to help encourage us in faith. There's no such thing as a, as a Lone Ranger Christian. I shared this with the church in the first service, and I know some of you might have might, might have might have heard this before. But I want you to stick up your hand just like this. Just just raise your hand up. Just everybody everybody show me five fingers, okay? Some of you wanted to show me one finger earlier. Just show me five. Just show me five. Yeah, just five. But listen, here here here's an easy way to think about community. What would, what, how do you think would change your relationship? And every day you had people in your life, when you met them, the first five words that you said to them, how can I help you? How can I help you? So everybody fold down your thumb. Now you got four fingers up. Everybody you meet, everybody you come in contact with, you say these four words, I'm proud of you. Say to them with me, I'm proud. I know some of you ain't doing it, but try. Listen, you'll be amazed. I'm proud of you. Yeah. How about these three words? I love you. Yes, I love you. You think it might make a difference in somebody's life? Yes. If you showed up and said, hey, how can I help you? I'm proud of you. I love you. And then two words. You know what they are? Most powerful words. Thank you. 
Thank you. And then one word. One word. Somebody says, it's got to be Jesus. No, one word. You know what it is? Together. Somebody say it. Together. Together we're stronger, right? Come on. Together we can make a difference. Together we can fight the storms. Together we can navigate what the enemy throws in our life. Together we can be a strong vibe. Come on, somebody help me this morning. Together is what God wants the church to be. That's what community is all about. Come on. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.